We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in Acts chapter number one this morning. Would you turn there in God's Word, Acts chapter one? And uh, we'll begin reading in verse 12, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 12. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? And uh, we thank the Lord for his faithfulness. We've been looking uh, at a series we just started a few weeks ago. And to introduce it, we went to Acts chapter 6. And the series is reestablishing the priorities of the church. The Lord has established them, and uh, in the process of life and ministry, there are times when we're tempted to stray from those priorities. There are things that come into our lives that are important and needful, but if we're not careful, we'll allow lesser things to keep us from the main thing. And it's always a challenge to keep the main things the main things. And so we saw in Acts chapter number 6 that uh, when the apostles were confronted with a, a problem, a conflict, uh, there was a temptation that the apostles would leave the Word of God and the ministry of prayer in order to appease the needs of those within the church. Now, those needs were important and needed to be met. But in order to meet them, we must keep the main thing the main thing. And as a church and as a ministry in 2024, as believers trying to raise a family, trying to get to work Monday through Friday, trying to pay your bills and dealing with all the things you have to deal with, Oftentimes, things come to us that if we're not careful, we will allow those things to consume us and the main things will no longer be the main things. And when the main things aren't the main things, uh, then we find our life is adrift. We find our marriage is adrift, our home life adrift, our, our work life adrift. We find our ministry life adrift. And in an age where there is so much confusion, where there's so many challenges that believers face, when such a spirit of deception exists as it does in our world today, we need to make sure that we understand what the priorities of the church are. Now, we've been taking sort of a survey through the book of Acts, and we haven't quite gotten far yet, but we're going to cover some ground today. And we come to the second priority, not second in order of importance, just the second one that we come to in this chapter, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to note it here, beginning in verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So after the Lord's ascension, after he has reminded them, of the priority of their witness, the witnessing church. We noted that last week. 
uh, they return from Olivet to Jerusalem. And when they were come in, verse 13, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Uh, we note that this church was a praying church. The first meeting of this church after the Lord ascended was a prayer meeting. And that's not just happenstance. It's not just coincidence. That is something that happened on purpose. And that purpose, of course, was for the church at that time. But that purpose also serves as an instructional lesson for us. Because we need to understand the priority of prayer. Jesus restated the priority in Mark chapter number 11 after he cleansed the temple. And there were those who said, why, why are you driving out the money changers? Who is it that you think you are? And Jesus said in Mark 11 and verse 17, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. They forgot the purpose of the house, the purpose of God's house, his assembly, his people, was that they come together and seek the Lord together in prayer. And there's a great temptation that many who attend church and many who know the Lord miss this purpose. As we noted already in Acts chapter number 6, the apostles declared once again to the believers the priority of prayer. Responding to the conflict in Acts chapter 6 and verse 2, the Bible says, Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not even, they said, practical for us to do this. It isn't good for us to do this. It isn't logical for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, they weren't too big, too proud, too important to serve tables. But they didn't want table service to overtake the responsibility that God had charged them with. And so they said in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, the first century church understood the priority of prayer. And the first century church discovered the purpose of prayer. Because prayer is an expression of our dependence upon God. When we pray, when we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, we're acknowledging our dependence upon Him. We are expressing in an humble expression that we need God. And when we do not pray, through our neglect of prayer, we are simply stating with our life and our example, God, we're okay, we don't need you yet, but we'll give you a call if we do. And we're so foolish to think 
that we can handle life without God. The primary purpose of prayer then is to bring our lives into harmony with God. To bring our heart, our mind, in union with His heart and His mind. And as we humble ourselves and come before the Lord and we yield ourselves to Him, our prayer does not just simply become a prayer that is filled with content for our comfort and our convenience. You know, we've all done this. You know, Lord, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that. And Lord, this relationship's important. Will you let that work out? Father, this situation with my health, will you, will you take care of that? Uh, God, I have a situation in, in a family relationship. Will, will, will you take care of that? And God cares about those things, and he uses those things, but he uses those things to create in us an awareness of how much we need God. And so as we pray, we need to accept the significance of the sovereignty of God, that His will takes precedence over our will, that He knows what we need more than we know what we need. And so many people who are disappointed with God often impose their expectations upon God as if they know better than God what they need. And so the first century church they understood the priority of prayer, and they discovered the purpose of prayer, and then they made use of the practice. In other words, they prayed. Uh, the first century church was a praying church. By the way, the first century church was a persecuted church. And persecution drove them to pray. Uh, the religious leaders uh, of the Jews persecuted them. Later on, the Roman government will only intensify that persecution. And the only way the church of Jerusalem began to spread and began to grow and develop throughout the world was through prayer in the face of persecution. Now, we know that we're living in the end of the church age. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The prophecies concerning the coming of Christ are being fulfilled before our very eyes. As the first century church suffered, so too will the church suffer in the days before the coming of the Lord. And we've seen so many things transpire in our world. Uh, we see our nation seemingly determined to destroy itself. Our borders are open. We have no control over who's coming across them. There are plans and schemes afoot. The security and prosperity that America has enjoyed is at risk. It's at great risk. It's at greater risk than we know. We live in a culture and a time and people who believe the Bible and the Word of God are increasingly experiencing the hostility of the institutions of our country and our own government. I'm not saying these things to scare you, to frighten you, to cause you to be alarmed. I'm saying these things to help you understand that we need 
to get prayed up. And we need to stay prayed up. And it will only be through the power of prayer that the church thrives. And I believe the church will thrive because there are people who are seeing the same things you and I are seeing, but they don't have the knowledge that we have. That all of the things that are happening in this world are happening as God said they would. And Jesus told us not to be troubled when we see them. And there are people who are going to be troubled who don't know the Lord, and you and I who do know the Lord, well, we can proclaim the message of the gospel to them. And I believe the church is going to enjoy a harvest like we've not seen in our lifetime. But it'll only happen as we pray and seek God. And that's what the first century church teaches us. And by the way, I'm glad to know that God still answers prayer. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 33, 3, as he carried, communicated the message of God to the people. <coughs> Excuse me. This cough's getting better. Keep praying. He said, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. You cannot comprehend, the Lord says, what I'm doing. But call unto me, and you're going to see me do something. Jesus said in John 14, 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. When we pray in agreement and accordance to the will of God, when we pray a prayer that Jesus can put his name on, he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so we learn that prayer is an indispensable practice for the church. Prayer brings us into the control room, one wrote. It is the powerhouse and it is the weapon against all the opposition of our spiritual enemies. And it changes us who pray. So pray, brethren. Pray. And so we're going to look at the praying church, the church of Jerusalem, the church that determined to keep prayer the priority. And I want us to see five lessons this morning that we learned from the church that made prayer a priority. Five lessons. Well, let's look at them. Beginning with our text, I want you to note this first of all, the praying church waits together. Waits. The disciples said, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom? Jesus said, fellas, it's not for you to know. Here's what you need to know. You need to wait on the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you with power, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Lay your agenda aside. Pick up my agenda. Here's what's important. You need to tell everybody that I came and died for them. They need to hear the same message that has changed your life. And so the Bible says in verse number 14 that they had returned to Jerusalem. They'd gone into the upper room. And in verse 14, here's the first thing they did. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. I think that word continues a great word. We find it here in Acts chapter 1. We find it again in Acts chapter 2. And I want to say this to you. As we draw near to the coming of the Lord, the greatest thing we can do is just continue. Just keep doing what we're doing. Faithfully, day in, day out. Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, 
Let's keep doing what we're doing. It is the thing that will make a difference. And they continued to meet together, and they continued to pray. And the Bible says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. One accord, meaning they were united. You know what prayer does? It unifies and unites God's people. It unifies them because they come to the same Lord in the same spirit, having received the same salvation, and they, 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 are, they are serving God with the same purpose, and prayer unifies people. In Matthew chapter 18, the Lord made a promise. He said in Matthew 18, verse 19, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. You see, the secret of this praying church was, of course, they kept priority, the priority of prayer, but they were a unified church. And the unity was key to their prayer life, and their prayer life was key to their unity. It had a reciprocating effect. And you see, church, as we stay on our knees with God, we'll stay unified. Because it is in prayer that we are submissive. It is in prayer that when disagreeing parties hear one another pray, they begin to discover one another's heart. And the Spirit of God begins to work in them. And instead of seeing the things that they're disagreeing about, they begin to see the things that they agree on. And they choose, though they will, there will always be some disagreements. You know, what, what color do you want to paint the bathroom this year? There will always be disagreements. But we cannot live in disagreement. We have to set aside personal preferences. And we have to understand that as a body, as a church, that we want God's will to be accomplished. And here is a church that is praying. And because of their prayer life, they're unified. And then their unity further enhances their prayer life. Here's another lesson we learn about the praying church that waits together. That this church is praying, and note who's praying. It's not just simply the apostles. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Prayer is available to all of God's people. Now, we believe the Bible is the Word of God, so we understand there are roles that are designated for men, roles of leadership, pastoring. Those are designated for men. That's God's order. That's the Word of God. That is in debate in many evangelical circles, but it's not in debate in a church that believes the Word of God. And, and oftentimes those who take a different view and oppose our view, which is in line with God's Word, they would say, well, you, you put women in a position or, 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 or you, 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 you hold them back and, and, and you place them in a lesser role. Well, that's not what God teaches in His Word. These women who followed Jesus were very significant in his earthly life and ministry. They ministered to him. And they prayed. And their prayers were no less impactful. In fact, I might argue they were even more impactful than many of the prayers of the men. You see, prayer is an activity that all of us can do. And may God help us to pray. Now, they're praying, and they're waiting on God. 
because they need direction for the next step. Now, notice what they prayed for in verse 23. Peter is speaking to the men, and he says to them, and to all who are in attendance, that the Bible says, the Psalms said that we need to fulfill the office that has been vacated. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus, that he committed suicide, and so there were only 11 apostles instead of 12. And uh, Peter harkens back to the Psalms that says, let his office, his bishopric, another take. And so in order to know who will fill that office, they appoint two men who had been witnesses of Christ's life and teaching and miracles and death. They pick Joseph in verse 23 and a man named Matthias. Notice verse 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two men thou hast chosen. God, we've brought two candidates to you. Would you show us who you want to take the office of Judas? Who will be a leader in the church? That he may take part, verse 25, of his ministry and apostleship for which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. They gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You see, they went into the upper room and they prayed and they sought Lord, the Lord about direction. I hearken back to 2019 when we were seeking God for direction and we, we asked the Lord to give us a building that would serve as a preschool building and we were going to place it out behind our playground. And we began to believe that that's what the Lord wanted us to do. I guess the next week you had the, we had the COVID shutdown. And then we faced challenge after challenge with the county to get approval. And ultimately what we discovered is that God was going to give us a building, but not for that purpose. He gave us a building for our elementary. Now the Lord knew what we didn't know, that our elementary was going to grow to such a degree that we really couldn't have operated this year or the year before without that building. You see, we, we knew God was doing something. We just weren't sure. We've been waiting. We've had delays, we've had twists and turns in, in the process, and what we have seen is as we have waited, God has revealed to us the answer. That's what the church is doing here. They're waiting. They're seeking God for direction. They're seeking God for wisdom, and God is giving it to them. It doesn't come on our time schedule. It doesn't come uh, as, as we would hope and expect sometimes, but it always comes from the Father, the loving Father, the all-wise, all-knowing Father who knows what we need and what we don't need, who knows when to bring it and when not to. You see, any time that we spend waiting is not wasted. It's time that God uses to help us look to Him and trust Him and see Him work. Maybe you're waiting on an answer today and you're frustrated and you're wondering, why doesn't God do something? I want you to know that in time, as you wait on the Lord, as you seek his direction, as you call upon him, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, the Lord said, it shall be open. It may be open to a world you didn't expect. He may open a door that you haven't seen yet. But if you'll trust God, I want to tell you on the authority of God's word, 
God will hear your prayer and he will answer your prayer and he will lead you into his will. So lesson number one, the praying church waits together. Lesson number two, the praying church worships together. Look in verse 41, Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost has come. Peter has preached. 3,000 people are saved. Acts 2.41, <clears throat> excuse me. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued. There's that word again. Steadfastly. I like that word too, don't you? Steadfastly. Nothing was going to move them. They weren't going to get discouraged and quit. They weren't going to get distracted and quit. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in, would you say that next word? Prayers. What's happening here? The church is worshiping together. The word of God is being proclaimed. They're singing hymns. They're fellowshipping together. They've gone to church. They're breaking bread. They are remembering the, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. They've already been baptized. That's ordinance number one. The Lord's Supper, that's ordinance number two. They are in worship. And the praying church worships together. Verse 43, note the results. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together. You know, it would be an amazing thing if everybody in this church got together. I, I'm not saying got in the same room. I mean, we got together. We got together with God and his purpose and his plan. We got together as a church and said, look, we're going to follow the Lord and we're going to serve the Lord. You see, that happens as a result of worship and it happens as a result of prayer. I'm sitting here this morning. I'm not just sitting here, by the way. I'm participating in the, in the, in the worship and I'm listening to the congregation sing and we're singing about on every sin that was laid out on him what an amazing thought that uh, in the power and in the position of Christ I have my status he's my hope he's my rock I stand on him that helped me this morning did it help you oh all the sin I commit and all the thoughts that run through my mind and and the temptation I face every sin on him was laid. Praise God. And the choir singing such a beautiful song. What a glorious thought they gave to us this morning. And that worship creates in my heart a knowledge, a conformity to what God wants done. And it brings God's people together. The praying church worships together. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1, he said, I exhort therefore that first of all. Now Paul is writing to Timothy about how things ought to be done in the church in 1 Timothy. The church, the pillar and the ground of the truth, he said that thou oughtest know how to behave thyself in the house of God, the church of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, what do we do when we come to church? Paul is telling Timothy that, and this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. 
When we come together as a church family and we pause to pray to begin the service, that's not filler time. That's prayer time. That's group worship in the presence of God to lift our voices together to the Lord, to ask for His blessing and His guidance and His provision in the meeting. Wednesday night when we have our discipleship groups and we, we come together in the beginning of the of the discipleship group hour at 645 and we repeat prayer requests and we pray together as a church. That's not filler time. That's not something you ought to bypass. That's something you ought to attend. That's a very important function of the public worship of the church. And so we see the praying church waits together and the praying church worships together. And let me give you the third thought, the praying church witnesses together. The praying church witnesses together. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go up to uh, the temple, the hour of prayer. They come to the beautiful gate. There's a man, a crippled man, a lame man, and he's begging. And Peter and John say to them, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And an, an amazing thing happens. This man who has been lame from his birth, he's never walked in his life, immediately received strength and he stood up. And then he walked. And I imagine that was a new sensation. Can you see the look on this guy's face? I'm walking. And he's laughing. And at the same time, he's a little unsure. Am I really doing this? And then he says, yeah, I am. And then the next thing you know, he's running the 50-yard dash. And everybody's going, you see that guy? Do you know that guy? Oh, I know. Is that who I think it is? That's the lame man. He's been here for years begging at the gate. Now he's running. What in the world happened to him? I don't know, but those two guys, Peter and John, you know those? Oh, yeah, I heard about those two. Yeah. He just talked to them. Let's go find out what happened. And they get around Peter, and Peter said, why are you looking at me like I did it? I didn't do it. Let me tell you who did it. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you, he said, crucified. And Peter preached the gospel, and 5,000 got saved that day. Well, the Jewish leaders didn't like it, so they brought Peter and John in, and they, they persecuted them. They intimidated them. They threatened them. They, they said, we're going to put you in prison, and, and they beat them. And said, don't you preach this anymore in our town. So we come to Acts 4, verse 23. Would you look at it with me? What are we going to do? Peter and John, you preached the gospel. People got saved. And what would you get for it? A beating. And a threat that you could go to prison. So finally, in verse 23 of chapter 4, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. I want you to know they didn't quit and they didn't go home. They went to church. Can you imagine Peter and John going, you know, it hurt feelings. They said something unkind to me. I got my feelings hurt. I don't think I'm ever going to go back. I mean, these are guys, these are guys that suffered. And they said, no, we're going back. Verse 24, 
And when they heard that, that's the church, they lifted up their voice. You see that in verse 24? They lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Here they are praying again with one accord. Boy, I tell you, there's nothing that will help us unify more than opposition. Opposition. And the climate of our culture and all that we're dealing with and all that we de will deal with I believe will have a purifying impact on the church, and I believe it will bring the church together. And they lifted up their voice with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. That's a good place to start your prayer. Which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's what's happening in our world today, the same very thing. This World Economic Forum that seems to be pulling all the strings and whoever the powers are behind our political figures, you've lived in this country long enough to know our politicians aren't in control. They're simply puppets on strings. And there's a group that has that group on a string. And you know who's got all of them on the street? They may not realize it, but Satan has them on the street. He's working his plan. But Satan doesn't realize it, but God has him on the street. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. All things are happening as God told us they would. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so they said, Lord, these kings have come together against Jesus, verse 27, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, he was one of them, and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. They've all gathered together. It's interesting what groups get unified against the Lord and his church. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Jesus said, when you see these things coming to pass, don't be troubled. No, I'm in control. Verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaped where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Do you know what the church is supposed to do in an hour like this? We're not supposed to shudder in fear, although fear can be a natural emotion. We're not supposed to militarize ourselves and, and organize ourselves as some political party. No, we need to get on our face before a holy God and pray and remember what the priority is that we go out into a lost and dying world and tell people about Jesus. We know this thing is coming apart at the seams, but we know God will use it to bring his kingdom together. So let's be kingdom people. Let's get together. Let's have all things common. And let's pray for God's power and blessing. Verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Notice this in verse 33, And with great power. 
gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, yes, great power and great grace. In Acts chapter 8, we see that Philip was sent to Samaria and then later to an Ethiopian man. In Acts chapter 10, we see Peter sent to a Roman centurion named Cornelius, and he's saved. In Acts chapter 13, uh, we see the believers in Antioch as they're praying, and the Holy Ghost says in Acts chapter 13, uh, in verse number 2, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. You see, I want you to know that as we make prayer a priority, God will give us power, God will direct our paths, and he will lead us to be more effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. I'm convinced the reason I don't witness more is because I don't pray enough. I talk too much and I pray too little. And may God help me. And may God help us. Well, we, we're learning some things here from this church. The praying church waits together. And as they wait, God gives direction and clarity. The praying church worships together. As they pray, their worship is enhanced. As their worship is enhanced, their prayer life grows stronger. More is accomplished. The praying church, thirdly, witnesses together. As we seek God in prayer, God gives us power and God directs our path to make us more effective witnesses. And then fourthly, we see the praying church works together. I won't belabor the point here. We've already looked at the passage in Acts chapter 6. But the, they were facing problems, right? The widows, there was a problem. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a problem, a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Their needs weren't being cared for, at least in their perception. It may have been a truth. If it was a truth, there's no doubt it was not intentional. But there was a problem, and they faced the problem. And then they resisted the temptation to be distracted from their purpose. They remitted, they, excuse me, they remained committed to the priorities the Lord had given them. We will give ourselves. It is not reason that we should uh, leave the ministry, the, the, the prayer and the ministry of the Word. It's not reason that we should do so in order to save or to serve tables, rather, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. They remain committed to the priorities the Lord had given them. And because they did so, they received godly wisdom and provision to meet the needs of the church. And then the Bible tells us, if you look in verse 6, they chose seven men whom they set before the apostles, and when they had, what's the next word? prayed when they had prayed they laid their hands on them and the word of god increased and the number of disciples multiplied in jerusalem greatly and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith you see the church that prays together stays together the church that worships together works together and here's a praying church that is working together they're functioning they're conducting the ministry of jesus christ they didn't get sidetracked by the expectations of individuals and neglect the expectation of God. And that's important. 
Uh, we have been so blessed here at Tabernacle. And our church has grown and we have a number of people who attend. And do you know that every person has a little bit different opinion and a little bit different background and a little bit different frame of reference? And we have different personalities and we express ourselves differently. And one thing that bothers you may not bother the next guy and the, next, and the one thing that bothers him may not bother you. Something important to him may not be important to you. How do you get a group of people like that to come together voluntarily, come together, live together, stay together, and serve together? I want to tell you, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And you know the only way it can happen? The only way it can happen is if God's people Submit to the will of God and seek him in prayer. And as we do that, the things that annoy us, the things that we don't like, the things that we wish were different, those things have a tendency to fall away. And we come together on what is common, our love for Jesus, our desire to grow in him, and a desire to be obedient to his commission. I want to tell you the praying church works together. And if we're going to work together in 2024 and beyond, we're going to have to keep praying. Amen. Well, time is coming to a close, but let me just give you this one last thing. The praying church wins together. Don't you like to win? You know, the Bible says that we are more than carpers through him that loved us. Now, the world, the flesh, and the devil will convince us that we're losing. Uh, you look at the news and you think, man, we're in trouble. Well, there's nothing like a fourth quarter comeback. But I want you to know the battle was secured in the first quarter. Jesus Christ won the battle in the beginning. And we know we're going to win the game. Can I confess something to you? I've watched the 2022 Tennessee-Alabama game several times. If there's nothing on television that I want to watch, I'll just go back and watch it again. And do you know that I enjoy it every single time I watch it? There's a particular play in the fourth quarter when... Tennessee's quarterback hands the ball off to the running back. And the running back didn't realize that the quarterback was giving him the ball. And the quarterback went one way and the running back went the other and the ball fell to the ground and the Alabama defensive lineman picks the ball up and runs it into the end zone. And do you know how many times I have watched that happen as a Tennessee fan over the years? Time and time and time again. Alabama defense comes up with some Silly touchdown, and we're beat. And I know what was happening in the hearts and minds of all the Tennessee fans. Here we go again. But do you know we came back and we won that game? It was an amazing game. I'll tell you all about it sometime if you want to talk about it. 
one of the greatest games I've ever seen. It really was. And when I was watching that game, I was nervous. But the other day I watched that game and I saw that play and I wasn't at all nervous. I just kind of grinned. And I thought, ha ha, you think you got it, don't you, Nick? But you don't. And we win the game. Last play. Field goal. It was great. I can enjoy watching it. You see, I don't have to live in anxiety thinking I'm defeated because it looks like we fumbled the ball in the fourth quarter. While the enemy's in the end zone dancing and celebrating, thinking he's won the game because I know what happens in the end. Now, I want you to know that the praying church wins together. Acts 9.36, a woman named Tabitha, also called Dorcas, she died. The church was heartbroken. Peter went in. He prayed. He said, rise. He gave his hand to her, and she arose from the dead. They enjoyed victory over death. Peter was later placed into prison. Herod said, I'm going to execute him. The church prayed. An angel came into the prison. Peter! Wake up! Peter, get up! Peter got up. The chains fell off. Peter, get your clothes on. We're going to a prayer meeting. They're back there praying for you. Peter gets out. He said, did that really happen? He pinched himself, maybe. Maybe he saw the lame man. <laughs> there he is. Did that really happen? Yeah, that happened. Well, then it must be happening to me. He goes back to where the prayer meeting is conducted at the home of John Mark's mother. He knocks on the door. A woman comes to the door. They're all inside praying. She says, who is it? He says, it's Peter. She doesn't even open the door. She goes back into the prayer meeting. Peter's out there. No way. It's Peter. Paul and Silas are in prison. We're preaching the gospel. They've been beaten. Placed in the prison, and at midnight, they prayed. And an earthquake occurred. The doors of the prison flew open. Their chains burst asunder. They were free. The prison guard came in, and he said, Tell me what I got to do to be saved. And they went back to his house, and he washed their stripes from their beating, and they gave the gospel, and he was saved. I'm going to tell you the church wins. And we're going, to have, we're going to have some difficult days ahead. We're going to have some challenges. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we learned some lessons from a church that kept prayer as a priority. What did we learn, Pastor? Well, we learned that the praying church waits together. Are you willing to wait on the Lord? It's not wasted time. Waiting time is glorious because what happens at the end of the wait is far greater than you could imagine. Praying church worships together. Let's continue. Let's pray together. Let's stay unified. Let's magnify the Lord. The praying church witnesses together. 
We get power to witness as we seek God. And we have the burden to witness as we seek God. The reason we don't have a burden to witness, the reason we're too afraid to witness or too disinterested to witness is because we're not spending enough time in prayer. Praying church works together. The praying church wins together. Well, let's be a praying church. The disciples said, we will give ourselves to prayer. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.